When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The rose water collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. This is Bridget. And this is Annie. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Um, quick trigger warning. We're talking about Louis C.K. If that's a trigger for you, I can imagine why it would be. Just know that's what we're talking about today. So we wanted to revisit this episode that we did about Louis C.K. and his apology and Me Too because... Louis C.K. has decided it is a good time to be back in the spotlight. In late August, Louis C.K. made his first comedy appearance since admitting to exposing himself and masturbating at a handful of women over his career. He did a surprise set at the Comedy Cellar in New York. Yeah, and as you can imagine, this was an uncomfortable experience for some audience members. Two women who sat through C.K.'s set told Vulture that though the small venue's audience was overwhelmingly supportive of the comedian, one joke about rape whistles was uncomfortable and that there seemed to be a divide between how men and women reacted to C.K.'s presence. One woman said, it felt like he was being thrust upon the audience without telling them. The audience was very loud when C.K. walked in. They were clearly supportive and surprised when he showed up, but there were a number of women sitting in the front row. According to Vulture, from her seat to the left of the stage, she could see a pair of women sitting stoned-faced. Her friend, who asked not to be identified, noticed the same reaction. She said, there were at least four to five females that I could see, and three or four of them were not having it. They were just looking at him, deadpan, straight not having it. She went on and said that the audience was mostly white with lots of couples. Both women say the set was awkward, but the first woman was particularly upset by it. Quote, it was an all-male set to begin with. Then it's sort of exacerbated by CK's presence. If someone had heckled him, I think they would have been heckled out. It felt like there were a lot of aggressive men in the audience and very quiet women. It's the kind of vibe that doesn't allow for dissenting voice. You're just expected to be a good audience member. You're considered a bad sport if you speak out. Here's my thing. If I hire a babysitter, spend money for a ticket, take the train all the way to the comedy cellar, you know, buy a drink, all of that, if I go through all of those steps and Louis C.K. makes a surprise appearance, my night is ruined. My night is ruined. And so I just think it's so telling the kind of person Louis C.K. is that he felt it was appropriate to bring a surprise comedy set on people who didn't know he was going to be there. I think, I think that really, for me, tells you all you need to know. Like, if he really was about, you know, making a comeback, then put your name on a goddamn marquee and sell tickets that say Louis C.K. and people can decide whether they're going to go or not. But to have it be a surprise set at a place where he knows, like, he, he kind of got his start and was a big part of his career where no one is going to boo him, or if you get up and make a scene, people are going to, you know, scream at you. I think putting that on unsuspecting people who are just, like, trying to have a nice night is so awful. And so, I think it's so telling the kind of person he is. By the way, on Twitter, I saw a lot of people being like, oh, well, he's, you know, he served his time, blah, blah, blah. Excuse me? I mean, he basically went away for a couple of months and as far as I know, like, what did he do to sort of make amends? Did he donate lots of money? Like, what, like, what, did, he, what did he do? Like, what actionable steps did he take other than just be a rich guy who was not on Twitter for a few months? <laughs> yeah, I can only 
just thinking about how you you go in to an experience like this and you think, oh, we're going to have a good time tonight and going to laugh and maybe get some relief from, like, me too or from the constant deluge of news and then to be confronted unsuspecting with that is awful, just an awful thing. And again, maybe you don't want to think about your sexual assault when you're trying to watch a comedy show. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. You don't want, maybe you don't want to be in, a, in the room with an admitted sex criminal. Maybe, maybe that ends in like a safe situation. Maybe you don't want to pay money to be in the room with this admitted sex criminal. That's, that's a, reasonable, a reasonable position. Oh, and by the way, in case you're thinking, oh, like maybe he's just testing the waters, his stand-up material included a joke about rape whistles. According to the two women that Vulture spoke to, his set included a joke about the phrase, clean as a whistle, which built up to a joke about how rape whistles are not clean. One of the women said, when he said rape whistle, people were laughing, and I was just sitting there like, oh my f- this is so uncomfortable and so disgusting. Everybody around me was laughing. That was depressing. Let me tell you something. If I go to a comedy, a comedy act, and Louis C. I, I don't know what the f- I'll do, but it will not be pretty. Like, it will be Bridget Todd, comma, podcaster, removed from from comedy <laughs> set. Because I, I will make the biggest scene in the... Like you, like, you think you've seen a scene, I would make the biggest scene. And I don't blame these women for not wanting to make a scene because you weren't, suspect, you weren't expecting to have to deal with this kind of thing going to a comedy show. So you're thinking... You know, do I get up and leave? Like, I, I could not in good faith sit and watch a Louis C.K. set without getting up. Or it would, have been, it would have been an uncomfortable situation. So I don't blame these ladies for not, you know, throwing tomatoes at him or whatever. But I guess what I'm saying is that nobody should be put in that situation without prior warning. And I think it's shitty that that's how he to- chose to stage his comeback. Agreed. So we hope that you find this episode, I guess, not enjoyable, but informative. <laughs> and um, it maybe gives some more, some more context to this whole situation. Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, I have to give a trigger warning. Not super thrilled to be coming back to this topic again so soon, but here we are. Men continue to be terrible in the Hollywood media landscape, so we're back at it again. Me too. Part two. The Louis C.K. edition. Now, several of y'all tweeted at us after Louis C.K. released his apology for... Apology in air quotes. Oh, I'm actually going to just call it a statement. Statement. That makes more sense. Yeah. There was no apology. His statement regarding allegations that he had been non-consensually masturbating in front of women uh, in writers' rooms and in the comedy world for a very long time. Those allegations, as we all now know, turned out to be very true. Several of you wrote in asking what we thought about this situation, his statement, and whether or not it was authentic and genuine. So today we're really going to unpack what led up to this moment, how rumors in the comedy and Hollywood and media landscape really kind of were all accurate in this case and what it means for Hollywood and women going forward. Now, the last time uh, at the end of our Me Too episode, which we, by the way, we're not intending to make a series, (laughs) but it's starting to feel like it might become one. We had really wrapped that conversation up by talking about this so-called witch hunt. First of all, I'm still excited and motivated by this so-called witch hunt. I'm so damn for the witch hunt. I think this is like the witch hunt rolling out. However... There was some concern around due process and like, is this going to become, you know, the rumor mill run amok? And I think we are starting to see real accusations being put forth and actually resulting in serious ramifications for every sexual predator except our president, (laughs) apparently, Trump alert. But one of you brilliant listeners actually tweeted at us this really interesting component of the witch hunt, which is now gleefully underway, that I thought was so on point. So thanks to Coyote Meal, who tweeted at us, women call men out on their bad behavior. Men whine and cry, quote, it's a witch hunt. No, boys, witch hunts were when 
powerful men imprisoned and killed independent women. That's not your term to borrow. Hashtag take back witch hunt, hashtag history. And then she tweeted at Mom Stuff Podcast and Full Frontal Sam B. And I just thought that is such a good point. This idea that this is a witch hunt that they can whine and freak out and complain about is ironic considering women were persecuted for nothing other than, I don't know, intelligence or independence independence maybe having pockets <laughs> when that wasn't when that was cause for suspicion and this is the witch hunt 2017 edition like this is actually holding people accountable and fortunately this is leading to serious ramifications for folks like Louis C.K. It really is. And even when we first recorded our last episode on Me Too, which wasn't even that long ago, a handful more, you know, powerful people in Hollywood have gone down because of allegations similar to those that Louis C.K. found himself with. In no way is this a complete list. There are so many more. If we were to list them all, we'd be here all day because that's how gross this is. Uh, so far, we have Brett Radner, very powerful Hollywood director who was accused by a handful of actresses for sexual misconduct and allegations. We mentioned Kevin Spacey's allegations in an earlier version of our Me Too podcast. Well, now Netflix has canceled House of Cards. And really, we've seen a lot of swift movement for getting justice for his victims. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting to me because part of me wonders if it's because he's a man and his victims were male that mm -hmm. it was so swift. Even with Harvey Weinstein, it yeah. seemed like there was a couple of days where it was like, oh, what's going to happen? Is he going to get the boot? Blah, blah, blah. Should with we Ke believe women? Exactly. With Kevin Spacey, it seemed very, very yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, another instance that I found really telling and, and kind of fascinating is this case with Bijou Phillips. Basically, when Bijou Phillips was in this movie Bully back in the early 2000s, one of her co-stars, Daniel Franzese, who you might know as Damien from the movie Mean Girls, which of course is a classic, he came out with allegations that when they were filming the movie Bully way back when, Bijou Phillips was pretty terrible to him. Now, he's a gay man, she's a woman, but that just goes to show you that sexual harassment in the workplace isn't just man to woman, it can be anyone to anyone, because it's really about power. So he alleges that she made fun of his body when he had to take his clothes off for different scenes, that she would often make fun of him for being gay in front of their other co-stars. I mean, she was harassing him. That's harassment. Yeah, total harassment. And it really goes to show that these cases can often be about power and making the other person feel powerless and exploiting these power dynamics. And so... Again, this isn't something that just happens men to women, although that tends to be the conversation that we're having in Hollywood. It can happen or to- Or men to men. Or men to men. It can happen to anyone. Right. Michael Oreskes from NPR is the latest, whose name is in the headlines. NPR has been doing its own reporting on it and an, an investigation into the allegations coming from a lot of female producers at NPR. Matthew Weiner, the creator of Mad Men, is- making headlines for allegations of sexual assault. Yeah, what I found so heartbreaking about the allegations surrounding Matthew Weiner is that this happened to a writer on the show, uh, Cater Gordon. And basically, she her career was on an upswing, right? She won an Emmy for her work on Mad Men. She went from being an assistant to a writer. And these allegations really had a big impact on her career. She says... I had the Emmy, but instead of being able to use that as a launch pad for the rest of my career, it became an anchor because I felt I had to answer to the speculative stories in the press. I eventually walked away instead of fighting back. So mm. she's someone whose career really never bounced back and that her career success actually became a burden because of her association with this guy who she, she alleges yeah. harassed her. Oof, God. And then we would be remiss to not mention Roy Moore, the Alabama Senate nominee who is being asked now to step aside by an unusual suspect, Mitch McConnell, who says, by the way, I believe the women. I thought that was an interesting Mitch McConnell quote. After allegations of child molestation, in response to allegations that he was basically hitting on and assaulting 14-year-old girl. Yeah, watching our elected leaders and lawmakers say things like, well, it wasn't non-consensual because she was into it, or... Ugh. It was actually romantic. He didn't have sex with her. He, it was very romantic. He would play guitar and be really sweet to her, as if that's not disgusting. And also... 14. Yeah. yeah. And he was victim-blaming in his statements about it, saying, you think it's a coincidence she waited all this time to make these allegations right before my election, right before this critical point in my career? And I'm thinking, dude, this is the time. This is the time to take people down. Like, she's got the whole zeitgeist behind her. Of course she's going to do this right now. Don't blame her for exactly. 
staying silent or not publicly getting the attention that she deserves to call you out on this BS. Exactly. So it definitely seems like we're in a cultural moment where people who have been silent for a long time feel like they are empowered to be silent no more. And that's something I'm really happy to see. I'm happy that people all along the spectrum are calling out inappropriate workplace and sexual harassment because it's, you know, it's high time. And it's it seems like due process is still due process, but now people are maybe more likely to believe victims for the first time ever. <laughs> you know, maybe this is a great time to make your voice heard if you are a victim because the likelihood of being believed, I don't think, has ever been higher. Totally. So taking it back to Louis C.K. for a minute... If you listen to our earlier episode about the Me Too campaign, one of the things that came up a lot is this idea of gossip and rumors and how even though I think that we're conditioned to just dismiss gossip and dismiss rumors and say, oh, do you have any proof? Oh, you know, is there any hard evidence? A lot of times when it comes to things like harassment and sexual assault, gossip and rumors can kind of function as a way to warn others and to spread the truth about what's actually happening. And so these Louis C.K. rumors have been around on the internet and in comedy scenes for For a a very long time, right? If you're at all read into the comment section of certain feminist blogs or what's going on in comedy scenes, you've no doubt heard these rumors. And for the longest time, people would often say, this is just rumors, this is just one person, this is just one story, you know, dismissing them. And actually, it turned out to be very true. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. If you look all the way back to 2012, Gawker made this really interesting editorial choice to run a piece titled, Which Beloved Comedian Likes to Force Female Comics to Watch Him Jerk Off? Which was posited as a question and really described what was happening with Louis C.K., but they made the choice to not name the suspect. I remember reading that article when it was published back in 2012. And as soon as I read it, I I was like, I think it's Louis C.K. Really? Because he talks about masturbation. He does. A lot. And he just seemed, I, I don't know. I didn't have any proof. I didn't have any evidence. I just had a feeling. I just had a feeling it was him. It's like the rumor mill was fully functional. And later in April of 2015, comedian Jen Kirkman talks about a, quote, known perv on her podcast without naming any names. Once again, she said, and I quote, I had another guy who's a very famous comic. He's probably at Cosby level at this point. He is lauded as a genius. He's basically a French filmmaker at this point. You know, new material every year. He's a known perv. And there's a lockdown on talking about him. His guy friends are standing by him and you can't say a bad thing about him. And I've been told by people, well, say it then. Say it if it's true. If I say it, my career is over. My manager and my agent have told me that. They didn't threaten it. They just said it to me. They just said to me, you know what, Jen? It's not worth it because then you'll be torn apart. Look at the Cosby women. Something I find so telling about her statement is that she doesn't think it was a threat. It was just a fact. If you talk about this, you're done. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's what's so scary about people at the peak of their career success, like Louis C.K. I mean, he was killing it. And so to be the wet blanket, right, to be the the naysayer about the, the beloved comedian. It just comes with so much personal risk. No one wanted to do it alone. And furthermore, his manager, Dave Becky, was arguably even more powerful than Louis himself was. Mm. He managed some of the biggest names in comedy. We're talking Amy Poehler, Aziz Asnari, people that you think of as, you know, progressive, funny people. And if you're a comedian who's up and coming, you might really be afraid to cross someone that powerful who has a direct line with so many powerful comedians. Yeah. And once again, the entertainment industry is such a casual, relationship-driven industry, you know? Like, I'd say all industries are pretty relationship-driven, but there's no HR department in the comedian stand-up circuit. You know what I mean? There's no hierarchy. There's no real authority. There's just power as derived from popularity and influence. And so there's no—it's like such a wild, wild west— Yeah, in our last Me Too episode, we talked about how because Hollywood really functions on, you know, sexual desire and looks as a currency and how it really allows abusers to fester, I think comedy kind of presents another interesting way of framing that where it is relationships, it is personal connection, it is having fond feelings about someone or thinking, oh, this guy's really funny, this guy's a truth teller that I think allows people who are 
doing bad things to really get away with it unchecked. Yeah, exactly. So what was he getting away with? So basically, he admitted to masturbating in front of at least five women who were also either writers or comedians or involved in the comedy scene. Um, sometimes he would barricade them and kind of not let them not let them leave a room until he was finished. Um, one woman says that they talked on the phone and then she realized through what he was saying and how he was breathing that he was masturbating. Um, yeah, it just really sounds... I don't even have the words for it. It's just such a... I would be so shocked. I mean, in one of the anecdotes, the two women that he masturbates in front of, they describe not even having the time to take off their winter coats. Right, exactly. This is the part of the story I found so interesting, and I'm glad the New York Times decided to lead the story with this. Basically, these two comedians, Dana Man Goodman and Julia Wolov, uh, had landed their big break, a chance to open the Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado, where Louis C.K. was also performing. So, of course, when he invited them to hang out in his hotel room for a nightcap afterwards, they took him up on the offer, thinking, like, of course, this is a good opportunity to network, which is true and should be a thing that women can do. And they said as soon as they sat down in his room, still wrapped in their winter jackets and hats, Louis C.K. asked if he could take out his penis. I'm sure he didn't say it like that, though. Like, do you mind if I whip out my... Like, that's the kind of opening line that Louis went with. And they said, I thought it was a joke and laughed it off, which is a normal reaction to something like that, that Louis C.K. is a dirty comedian. Like, he would joke about something like that. And he jokes about masturbation on the the show frequently. So then he did it. (laughs) And they were like, he proceeded to take all of his clothes off, get completely naked, and start masturbating. And they're, like, still wrapped up in their jackets, paralyzed. They were like, I didn't know what to do. And I don't blame them because what the hell kind of a move was that? I mean, I can't even fathom a grown man thinking that that isn't all a consensual encounter when the people that you're doing that in front of, they've just got there. Yeah. I mean, what is that? Well, it's it's so clearly not a sexual... It's not sexually initiating something. It's clearly an assault. You know what I mean? It's like a power move. You're, I don't know. It's so disrespectful. At at its core, it's not about a sexually mutual exchange of anything. It's like, this is what I'm going to do over you. Like, I don't really care about your thoughts or feelings about it. This is what I'm going to do. Honestly, I would love for the like sex therapists out there to weigh in on the psychology of why men would why men do that. I and mean, and men do. Men do. And Lord knows I don't understand men. If you if you know anything about my romantic life, Lord knows I don't know crap about men. But this is something that I just can't wrap my head around. Well, there's also this narrative I've heard that's like, oh, he's sexually damaged. Like, oh, he's got problems. That's something that jumped out at me in a lot of the encounters that women described that in the New York Times, one of the women said, after he asked, can I take out my penis and start masturbating, that she said no, and that his response was, oh, I have problems, I'm messed up. up. And so it does seem like, whether or not that's an actual thing, it does seem like CK fell back on this idea of like, oh, I have problems, I have sexual hangups, whatever, as an explanation for behavior that really just... Can't be excused. It's like, imagine if you walked into your boss's room or your colleague's office and that happened. See, I think because it's the entertainment industry, because it was a late night in a hotel room, the barriers seem a little wishier and washier, a little more fluid. But compare this to your office. Like, compare this to your professional domain. The women who were in that hotel room had just finished working with a professional colleague. Just because it was in a hotel room does not lower the bar of, like, decency And a lot of people on Twitter started saying, like, wow, that's weird and messed up and gross, but is it assault? Is this against the law? You can't whip out your I mean, there was real tension around people getting on board immediately with that being an assault. Definitely. I definitely saw that. And I thought to myself, gee, the only spectrum we have these days to talk about sexual misconduct is, is it a legal sexual assault? or no, right. then our whole conversation is kind of Well, it's, it just goes back to consent. We've got to train all people of all genders what it looks like to have consensual sex because that is not a consensual exchange. And that is, at its core, an aggressive one-way move. It's like, I really don't care if you say yes or no. This is going to happen. I'm going to do this. This is me wielding power over you. 
and fundamentally disrespecting you. Absolutely. And I think you really saw that in CK's statement about what happened. So one thing I will say about this statement is that he did flat out say, these allegations are true. I did these things. And so having that for me, having that be sort of the opening line, I thought, well, at least he's not going through this whole rigmarole of they're lying. At least he's saying this happened. Which is commendable. We can, we can say this is disgusting and terrible, and also he owned up to it, and that's commendable. Because I think in this day and age, the, what we expect from powerful men who are accused of sexual assault or sexual harassment or sexual misconduct, yeah. is right. it's like a, a script. Right away, these allegations are false. I have a daughter. I have a wife. Like, there's a playbook that mm-hmm. usually happens. These and so, women are crazy. Exactly. These women are ugly. They're gold The bar diggers. is so low, though. That's what I realized. We were G-chatting a lot when this stuff was breaking, and I was talking with a lot of people in my life about it, and I frankly realized that I was too easily impressed. Is the bar so low for me that just owning up to it, even though he does not apologize and says something pathetic like, I never showed a woman my d- without asking first, and I thought that's why it was okay. Like, I was placated for all of five seconds before I started talking about it with everyone around me. And I I read the New York Times piece out loud when I was reading it, and Brad was around, and I read the statement, and he just said, I'm not impressed. And I realized, like, damn, I've been coming up in a world where this kind of a statement was, like, placated me. And I, I felt sort of horrified by myself in that moment. Well, if you checked out social media, you're far from alone. I saw many people on Twitter applauding his statement, saying this is a good model for how men can own when they do something wrong yeah. and how they can publicly own it. But here, and, and here's the thing. Louis C.K.'s whole shtick is sort of calculated vulnerability and sort of making you feel like he's being honest and authentic. That's why his show was so good. That's what resonates with his stand-up. And so he is shameful. He's he is ashamed of himself. Correct. Which <laughs> reminded me of all the people I've ever dated in my life, except for Brad the Boo. So I think I was like, I got the psychological victimhood that he was playing. But do you think it was authentic? Do I you think, think that he was authentically ashamed? Yeah, I do. So here's why I disagree. I definitely think this is like a your mileage may vary thing. And I saw people that I immensely respect saying this is a, like he does seem like he's owning this and that he understands. But just two months ago, he was on TV promoting his gross movie, which we're going to get to in a second, oh, yeah. saying these are rumors. I've done nothing wrong. I'm really? not going to answer for this. And so oh, yeah. even while that statement reads to me as someone who is ashamed and feels bad and gets it, gets why they've done something wrong. I don't feel like you can go from, I don't, I don't have to apologize for anything. I didn't do anything wrong. In fact, you're the one who's wrong for spreading rumors that right. could hurt me. I don't think you could go from there to genuinely apologetic and getting it in, yeah. a, in a series of months. Yeah, and I guess that's actually what Brad pointed out to me, which was, I bet so many men out there have these statements ready to go but they're not going to own it until they absolutely have to. That's the thing. And so I want to see the guy who says, you know what? I'm volunteering. I did something wrong, and they're probably all coming for me anyway, so let's just get this out of the way now. Yeah. I want to see that guy. Yeah. I don't feel like Louis C.K. can... He has made a big show. He went on Mark Maron's podcast and essentially lied. He lied and said this never happened. It's a rumor. It was a rumor about one night. And Mark Maron was like, yeah, he lied to me on my own show. He came into my garage, put on my headphones, talked into my microphone, and lied. Not cool. And so I just feel like, you know, it's a no from me. It's a no from me. Yeah, yeah. That's very compelling. I'm convinced. And it it actually really jarred me in the same way that problematic fave Taylor Swift addition jarred me into realizing, oh, I forgive a lot of racism from people that I adore. And that's pretty messed up when it comes to Taylor Swift. And when it comes to Louis C.K., because I loved his comedy, I was so easily placated by his bullshit. But that's the thing. That's yeah. how he gets you. Like, his comedy sucks that's you true. in that way. And I think it's a, it's a nature of comedy. Like, stand-up comedy is about making people feel like you're telling the truth, that you're that you're winning them over to how you see the world. And Louis is great at that. Aww. That's why his comedy is so good. And so when I saw that statement, initially I was like, oh, that was a good statement. I had to take a step back and say, wait a minute. He doesn't even say he's sorry. And as Christina Catarucci points out over at Slate, in his own statement about his misconduct, he really messes up the concept of consent in a way that I think folks aren't really talking about enough. She says... 
Even so, nestled in the CK's admission of fact, quote, these stories are true, are several deliberate lies. CK's phrasing is cunning and specific. Perhaps he did ask each woman if he could take out his penis before he showed it to them. But he doesn't say if they said yes, because many didn't. Here, CK is squeezing his history of harassment into the narrative of misunderstood consent. He is claiming that as an adult man, he believed that repeatedly asking a woman in his workplace to watch him masturbate in his office was appropriate. The Times article says he proposed his favorite sex act to the pair of women he didn't know, but who admired him. As soon as they sat down in a room wrapped in their winter jackets and hats, when they, quote, laughed it off, he did it anyway. C.K. would have his fans believe that he honestly thought this would be erotically pleasing for the two bundled up women that he truly believed that he had their consent. Exactly. Because it has nothing to do with their interests or desires. He's totally disrespectful and ignorant of and not interested in understanding what they want and and desire in that moment. Because it sure as hell wasn't going to be to watch him masturbate. Yes. Duh. Absolutely accurate. We're going to get into a little bit more about why C.K.'s allegations seem a little bit different from the others after this quick break. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. And we're back. And we were just talking about Louis C.K. and really why it was so tempting to maybe give him a pass to say, Mm -hmm. oh, his, his statement was good. And I really do think it's because of how he functions in the comedy world. First of all, as the New York Times points out, the man is a comedy legend. He's so successful. He sold out Madison Square Garden. His show is huge. He's really sort of known as kind of a tastemaker in in comedy and in Hollywood. So I wonder if that played into why these allegations went unaddressed for so long. Yeah. You know, what's ironic and now very horrifying is that Louis C.K. built a reputation as the unlikely conscience of the comedy scene as written in the New York Times. They go on to say he made audiences laugh about hypocrisy, especially male hypocrisy. And I think that's exactly why men like CK can be so insidious because they make you believe that they're these woke progressive feminists. They get it. They get what the women are going through. They get their own role in it. But just saying the right stuff about gender doesn't actually make you a feminist. Exactly. His work really underscored and played up the grossness of men, which made him kind of endearing. For instance, take his classic joke about how dating men is dangerous. He says, how do women still go out with guys when you consider that there is no greater threat to women than men? We're the number one threat to women globally and historically. We are the number one cause of injury and mayhem to women, which, by the way, I never thought was that funny because it's so freaking true. You yeah. know what I mean? That was like a scary real joke, but he got people laughing because he's the, oh, like, we're so bad, like, terrible men, like, oh, self-deprecation on steroids. 
Totally. And I have such a hard time seeing through this when it's happening and like the guy is in my good graces. But after the fact, it's so easy to call this out for what it is. Exactly. And you know who did that beautifully is Francesca Ramsey, who really articulated this in the perfect way uh, on stage just earlier this week. I think what really is the worst is like looking back on his material and realizing that he was doing all of this stuff to get like head pats for being like a woke white guy who like understands it's hard to be a woman. Like, f you, dude. He was telling jokes about himself. He was going up and telling jokes about how hard it was to be a woman because guys are assholes and he was talking about himself and he was getting millions of dollars for it and it's just, ugh. Honestly, I could not have put it better myself. Um, I think it's. I think she's absolutely spot on, right? We all kind of bought into this idea of Louis C.K. as this feminist truth teller. There's actually a Salon article about all about how he's a, fe a male feminist comedian, and it's this new thing. And I just think we bought it. Yeah, we fell and for it. he was making millions doing it. Yes, that underscores to me just how enraged we all should be about it. Absolutely, and I think the fact that we gave him money for telling jokes about his own gross disturbing behavior really says something about us. Over at GQ, they write, CK2 had a rep for being painfully honest, particularly in regard to his own shortcomings as a husband, father, and man in general. Looking back, it feels like CK's entire oeuvre was less a deployment of harsh truths than a deft way of laundering them, masking his truly unforgivable behavior. He was strategically vulnerable, always in control of his own narrative. He almost certainly got more catharsis out of his act than his audience did. CK also had a habit of presuming his own personal flaws, his inner racism, his sexual hangups, etc., were universal aspects of the human condition. I know that playbook well, and it's often used by a white dude who thinks everyone else also thinks like a white dude. Uh, which I'm sure many white dudes do. But like it doesn't it's not exactly inclusive comedy. Like that that's why that joke about men being the number one deadliest like threat to women was not funny to me. Right. But again, I think a certain kind of man sees CK and says, if I think like him, I'm a good guy. I'm a progressive. I can be gross. Mm. I can do all these gross things. I mean, he had an episode of his show, Louie, where he basically tries to rape Pamela Alden's character. And it's sort of framed as, oh, he's just this bumbling guy who doesn't know how to, how to be with women. And looking back, it's like, why did we entertain that? Why did we allow that to be wrapped up in kind of a, you know, a, a fluffy bow? Another episode that I actually had forgotten about until just now is Louis, you know, he's this sort of chronically single, can't get a date, hapless guy who doesn't understand women, and it's supposed to be lovable on the show. He goes to a supermarket, and there's a black woman behind the checkout counter, and he buys like a dozen roses, and he says these are for you. And she's like, I can't accept these roses. I don't want them. And he's like, no, I'm, I bought them for you. I bought them for you. She's like, no, I'm not interested. He then waits until she gets off of her job. She, he follows her back to her apartment. And this is New York, so she lives in like Harlem. It's, it involves, you know, he gets on the subway with her and he goes back to her apartment and is like trying to woo her after she's made it very, very clear that she's not interested. And the episode is played for sort of He's this romantic guy who's trying his best to woo this girl who could not have made it any more clear that she's not into it. Ugh. And what's worse is that the girl actually gives this very pointed kind of monologue about what's happening and why it's messed up. She says, you think this is going to be something where you come to the hood and like come to Harlem and like make my day and like buy me flowers and it's supposed to be so nice. I'm not into it. It's not romantic. It's not cool. And you're thinking, oh, maybe he gets it. But then here's the kicker. It's played for laughs because as he's leaving her apartment, he sees another black woman and they have like what is supposed to be humorous sex. So basically, what? he essentially stalks a woman all the way through her workday on the subway back to her home. After she's like, you need to leave her. I'm basically calling the cops. He sleeps with another woman, and it's supposed to be funny and charming. And I wonder, were we all just caught up in that, in exactly what Francesca was saying, this sort of bumbling white guy progressivism that we kind of got duped into thinking that was cool? I think he is playing up the very real problem that our society has on understanding consent. I think the confusion around consent is honest. Clearly, he doesn't understand that whipping your out in the workplace, even if it is a hotel room after a comedy show, in front of two women who could not have looked or seemed less interested, is not okay. 
So I think this like hapless learning what consent means, like clearly he needs to understand what 18 year olds are hopefully getting through their heads a little more than it's like a, a generational thing. Not that that's a pass, but I think his comedy resonated because there is real confusion in this country about what consent actually means. And once you add power and a sense of entitlement to it, which white men in our country seem to have an oversized uh, amount of right now and historically, then that's a, that's a pretty dangerous combination. A lack of respect around consent, an outsized estimation of your own awesomeness, <laughs> right? About your own sex appeal, perhaps, or your entitlement and your power and an actual outsized amount of power in this country. I would also go further and say an outsized estimation of your own feminism, right? Yeah. Because I do think him being sort of appointed as, quote, feminist dude, perhaps did give him a lot of leeway to make art that we weren't super critical about in addition to getting away with things that were really inappropriate. That's why I love this piece that Sarah Dittman put out at the New Statement. She says, it's typical of the low standards men benefit from that simply describing how men are bad for women could be enough to get CK lauded as a hero of the women's movement. In the same way that a male primary school teacher who simply shows up for work long enough can find himself glass elevator to the head of leadership, just dropping some about sex and power can be enough to have a man seen appointed to top feminist. And if like CK, he seems to be admitting to personal foibles as he goes, then he can be praised all the more for his honesty. Yeah, the bar is so low. The bar is so low for male feminists. in the public eye in the entertainment industry. And isn't it interesting how a lot of times these notable male feminists find themselves kind of dealing with this kind of thing? I'm thinking of folks like Jamie Kilston, Joss Whedon, all of these men that sort of appoint themselves as these feminist heroes, sometimes they end up being kind of gross and kind of sleazy and using their feminist street cred to prey on women. Yeah, I can almost hear the guy listening, though, saying like, what, am I too much of a feminist now? It's like kind of how Matt McGorry got yeah. a lot of shade yeah. after he was like a little too front and center with his feminism. Well, I almost wonder if it's one of those Malcolm Gladwell-style tipping points <laughs> where when you're you're like woke and then you get to a point where it's like, it's too woke and then you're like, something's about to... <laughs> Turn it down. Yeah, yeah, something's about to... It's like a... Something, about, something has to give, right? Well, it's the, it's the idea of like, um, pass the mic. Exactly. Just as a personal thing, when a man vocally and loudly calls himself a feminist, I'm always a little skeptical. I'm yeah. like, I just feel as though if you actually are truly down with the cause... You're not just talking about it and tweeting about it. Yeah. You're actually out there being a good guy. You're yeah. actually out there yeah. passing, the mic, passing the mic and elevating space. women's voices. Yeah. You're actually out there checking your bros when they do something inappropriate to a woman, when they catcall a woman. You're actually out there walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Yes. You know, I actually heard Wade Davis speak at uh, Mobilizing the Power of Women, the Elevate Network's conference in New York earlier this year. And when he got up as one of the like handful of keynote speakers in the morning of the conference, the first thing he said was, listen, I'm not here to get brownie points. I think there's a lot of things wrong with the men who get up at these conferences to just get brownie points. So like, this is not about me. And I come to you humbly and like, I'm here to learn and listen. And I was just like, damn, you don't get that kind of a message from a lot of speakers, period, but especially as an expert in diversity and inclusion, which he is, a former NFL player, an educator, and a diversity and inclusion consultant, you know, he was incredibly tactful in how he walked the walk, which it, it definitely, your actions speak louder than your words when it comes to this kind of a thing. Well, I think these kind of big public moments like that can really be models for how men can get it right and men can get it wrong. And I got to say, I was a little disappointed by one of our faves, John Stewart, looking back at footage of him being asked about these allegations. It's mortifying. Basically, he dismisses it as, quote, some internet thing, right? Ooh. He doesn't even really take the rumors seriously and he's kind of just brushes them off. And that video today, you know, it's a few years old, but watching it in light of the recent allegations coming out to be true, it really doesn't play well. But conversely, I thought it was interesting that 30 Rock's Judah Friedlander really showed a different model for how CK's comedy colleagues could really hold him accountable and support the, the women who were coming forward. When Friedlander was asked about sexual assault in the comedy world, he said... There's a big rumor. I think you know who I'm talking about. I've only ever read things on Gawker. 
I got alerted to it a year ago when it was online. I don't generally deal with him. He's been a to me, so I know nothing about it. But if anyone in the comedy community has been abused by anyone, I support them 100%. Whoever's doing it, no matter how big or small, I hope they do time for the crime. Wow. And, you know... I bet that wasn't an easy thing to do. I bet that did have consequences for him. Mm -hmm. But there's a right way to be an ally when you're a man, and there's a wrong way to be an ally when you're a man. And I think moments like this really show us how folks can get it right or get it wrong. Yeah, and it it involves taking risks to your own personal, professional credibility or potential. You know, like calling out, like, the big fish in the scene – does not come without consequences. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's take a quick break and talk a bit more about what this means for CK's movies and for the media landscape going forward. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because... If my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rosewater collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And we're back. We were just talking about Louis C.K. and sort of how he was able to function as a creep in Hollywood for... (laughs) so long. And I, I would be remiss to talk about Louis C.K. without mentioning that creepy, creepy movie, I Love You, Daddy. To me, there is no better evidence of how secure C.K. felt in his status and in his standing in Hollywood and in the New York comedy scene than the fact that he felt it was appropriate and a good idea to write, direct, and self-finance a movie called I Love You, Daddy that deals heavily with a 17-year-old high school student possibly having sexual relations with a much older man. Mind you, in the style of other potentially noted creep, Woody Allen. Yeah, it it basically is a film whose plotline plays homage to the Woody Allen era in which, like, this creative, fumbling, bumbling older man finds inspiration in a muse who is, like, basically barely legal. Or in this case, not legal. Yeah, if you've ever seen Manhattan, I Love You, Daddy, basically is an homage to Manhattan, wherein I think it's Brooke Shields, who is 15, is the love interest for very adult Woody Allen. And it's just seen as a thing. And so I think the fact (sighs) that Louis C.K. decided to pay homage to Woody Allen, in my mind, it just makes me think, like, wow, you really were... Like, this is like a... um, This is not subtle. Right. Actually, (laughs) Ira Madison had a great tweet about something else, but it reminded me so much of this. This is like a movie wherein the serial killer sends taunting letters to the police. It's like, we get it, dude. You're a creep. Like, how many other ways could you try to tell us that you're a creep? It's so insane. And you're right. Like, the chutzpah on this guy to think that he could get away with that while he's busy doing this kind of jerk-off, you know, assault type strategy. Like, why would you do that? Because you no longer fear consequences because Mm -hmm. you're very powerful. And you're untouchable, or so he thought. And your powerful friends will all fall in line to protect you because you're a great comedian. Right. Like, that. Like it's no question to me that he very clearly felt secure, secure enough to make what I feel like is such an obvious, horrible idea of a movie, particularly in this cultural climate. Like, 
even if these allegations about him never came to light, even if they never came to be true, making a movie about your 17-year-old daughter having sex with a grown man and your sort of moral ambiguity around that is weird regardless. Yeah. Like, I, it takes yeah. a lot of, like you said, huspa to make a movie like that yeah. in this climate and think it'll just be fine. Yeah, and well, to be clear, we have not seen this film ourselves. Alexandra Schwartz and The New Yorker sums it up in really what she describes as the only generous way to read I Love You, Daddy, which she says is as a portrait of male cowardice. What kind of man would be so shamefully pathetic as to avoid confronting the famous geezer who may or may not be screwing his underage daughter because that geezer has offered to read his latest script? The same man, presumably, who winces but doesn't intervene as his Dumbo comedian buddy, Charlie Day, describes at gleeful length all the ways that the man's daughter has probably been f***ed on spring break. As is often the case with the roles that Louis writes for himself, there is a strong note of masochistic pleasure in this extreme passivity. Louis, famously obsessive and controlling of his work, he writes, he directs, he edits, he acts, he produces, he distributes, he does it all, likes to play losers who are at the mercy of others. Often, those others are women. It's hard not to wonder, in the wake of Thursday's revelations, to what extent Louis has used this persona to shield his reputation. But cowardice is not just an avoidance of a moral stance. It is a moral stance, too, and not a flattering one. So basically, in the movie, he, he's got this powerful older um, filmmaker who he really admires, who he doesn't necessarily want to confront about whether or not he's sleeping with his teenage daughter. And, like, we're supposed to empathize with that kind of ambiguity? Right. And just like we were talking about before, how his comedy and his show kind of served to launder his own behavior and sort of put this sort of mask of, what does it all mean? Let's ask, quote, tough questions about bad behavior of men. And, just asking questions. Right. Like, I, I feel like the film really sort of puts a veneer of, this is, these are smart, arty people mm. having smart, arty conversations about whether it's cool to have sex with a 14-year-old. It almost sounds like he's using his art or the this character that he seems to play over and over again as a way of denying his own responsibility in his own life. Absolutely. Ab yeah. 100% absolutely. Like, maybe I'm not doing this. Maybe it's all just happening to me. Exactly. That infinite victimhood that... Honestly, I dated people who <laughs> were just like, yeah, I mean, every, he, every like up dude I've dated is like, I'm just the victim here. And a lot of the controlling and abusive men that I've encountered in my life, whether I was in a relationship with them or not, are constantly feeling like victims, like hapless saps that just, you know, just want to love and be loved. I think Louis plays that up so much. And I think it's no coincidence that you see that in men who can come off a little controlling and toxic. It's that constant shirking of responsibility by seeing you as the victim of your own life instead of having any agency or power or responsibility over your actions. Absolutely. So commonplace. It's so common. Yeah. And I think kind of back to the movie, even though I think I've talked at length about how gross I think this movie is, even beyond that, something that really troubles me is that we give men like Louis the space to tell these stories. I'm in general sick of the overcrowding of our media landscape with stories like this. Stories about men grappling with, you know, wanting to f younger women and all of that. Like, I just... I'm done with that, right? Something that I often say that people give me a lot of heat for is I don't actually read books by men. I'm just sick of it. It's nothing against men. Yeah. I just, I get it. I feel like we have heard these stories so often. What new thing could Louis C.K. tell us about, yeah. you know... The human experience. Right. Yeah. And I just feel like for so long, we have given men this pass to make whatever kind of stories they make, and people just take it seriously. Yeah. Well, that's why... Tig Notaro's One Mississippi is so refreshing, which, by the way, did you hear her interview that Chuck did on um, Movie oh, Crush? Oh, it's, it's a, it's a must Amazing. Listen. I love Tig Notaro. And again, she was one of the earliest people to really call CK out. And that's another thing that really pissed me off about the situation. How many women, how many women showrunners, women frontrunners are going to go down because of CK's <laughs> Pamela Allen's better things. She is out there like doing her own show about 
complicated women right. of a certain age, stories that you don't see. Right. Is his situation going to like taint her project? Is his situation going to taint Tignataro's project mm. because he sort of like helped her get famous? Because when you look at allegations of wrongdoing by men, so often we expect the women in their orbit to answer for their wrongdoings. Look at Hillary Clinton. Oh yeah. Look at Huma Abdeen. Right? How often do we expect women who are in the orbit of me- powerful men who who mess up? Who mess up? Yeah. How often do we look at them and say, like, where was she? What did she do? Well, Why didn't she? It was a relationship. Stand by your man or not, kind of song gets right. played over and over again. But hopefully, because Louis C.K. is not romantically attached to any of these women, that won't happen. But when I think about Pamela Alden, I only think about her in relation to CK. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was They a were re- like creatively linked. Correct. I was just reading earlier today about how in comedy for women, so often women aren't taken seriously as creators until they're attached to a powerful man. I love Issa Rae's Insecure, but it was really Larry Wilmore kind of putting a stamp on that that got her where she is yeah. and got her that recognition and saying, okay... We'll give her some legitimacy as a content creator. Yeah. And I feel like Issa Rae is such a good example, like Tignataro, of like, maybe we should give women comedians more money to make more creative stuff. There are so many more stories to be told than this Woody Allen BS rerun. Absolutely, absolutely correct. And again, I'm hoping that this moment will really be a a, a sea change, not just around the fact that we're sick of powerful men getting away with sex crimes, but also... We're sick of the stories of men dominating our media landscape. I hope this moment is a galvanizing one yeah. for women content creators, women comedians, women writers, women directors, and every aspect from agents and managers to people who are behind the camera. I want this to be a moment that says, listen, men have had their run in Hollywood. It's our turn. Clearly, you're messing everything up. Clearly, you can't <laughs> keep it in your pants. Clearly, we're all sick of it. And you know what else? We're sick of your stories because they're whack and tired. Sit down and let us have a chance at the helm. Yes. Also, ditto that for politics. Yes. And all the things, really. Like, everything. All the things. I know. People chafe at that idea of, like, you've had your turn. Give us a shot. But that is valid. That is 100% valid. And I think I couldn't have said it better myself. The good news is that you don't have to look very far for evidence that the market is hungry for more stories, not the Woody Allen rerun. Even this past weekend, women-led films were crushing it at the box office. The new Frances McDormand movie called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri opened to the third highest per screen average for any movie this year with a stellar $320,000 take from just four screens. It played alongside the movie with the highest per screen opening of that year, the Greta Gerwig written and directed and Soar's Ronin starring Lady Bird, which earned 91000 per screen in its debut and widened in its second weekend to become a bona fide specialty cinema smash hit. Which, FYI, I saw Lady Bird over the weekend. And honestly, it doesn't surprise me that a movie that treats young women as actual thinking beings who have desires and needs and all of that as fully authentic people was a smash hit this past weekend. And it can really be seen in tandem with Louis C.K.'s I Love You Daddy, wherein his 17-year-old daughter is just this... Object of desire. Right, exactly, exactly that. And so I don't think it's a coincidence at all that these authentic, women-fronted movies with these strong female protagonists have been doing gangbusters in light of all these horrible allegations against powerful men in Hollywood. I also see this playing out on the small screen, by the way. How? I am hungry for women-led dramas. I think The Crown was doing incredibly well. We've already discussed how Reese Witherspoon's production studio is changing the game with things like Big Little Lies. I think... As a TV fiend who doesn't really actually get to the movies very often, I don't know why. I'm not really a movie person, but I am a TV series binge watcher extraordinaire. Um, I see this playing out in my Netflix account as well, and I want more of it. It's kind of like music, too. I give my dad and a lot of the guy friends in my life a lot of credit for introducing me to some of the most iconic bands that I've ever loved, a lot of classic rock. And then I realized in the past decade... You don't listen to any women-led bands. Like, what is wrong with you? Let me introduce you to some bands that you've been missing out on and some musical artists who you've been missing out on. Although, to his credit, my dad did introduce me to Janelle Monet. Oh, what? Yeah. Get it. Dad, dad Aries. Dad Aries, 
my Jewish white father went to a Janelle Monet concert solo in Hartford, Connecticut, 20 minutes from our house in the pouring rain. <gasps> Stayed to like meet her backstage. Pretty sure he was the only white Jewish suburban father in the whole place, by the way, and got her signed oh, autograph. I'm sure she album. was like, where's your adopted black daughter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was so proud. I love it. I love it. Well, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. What was your take on Louis' statement about these allegations? Did it seem genuine to you? Why or why not? What's your take on why men masturbate in front of women who are non-consenting? And did anybody else sort of catch themselves, like me, being too easily placated and then thankfully getting enraged all over again the more I read about this? And is that problematic? Like, do you find yourself too easily placated by the celebrities you formerly admired um, in a statement, a quote-unquote apology like this one? It's easy to do, totally understandable. So hit us up on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast, and as always, on email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.